18 to 25. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Right, so good morning, uh, church. I'm glad you're able to make it in uh, to our service uh, this morning. Thanks to all those that helped shovel and get the church ready uh, to make the space uh, available uh, for us. Uh, it's really been quite a week uh, because our, uh, good job to our, our, our worship team because our piano broke sometime between last week and this week. So they scrambled a bit uh, to get uh, another rental so we can get a keyboard and our worship team was able to tune it this morning to get, get it ready. And then also like a little bit of a scramble this morning with getting the live stream going for those of us that are joining on live uh, right now. We have a recording every single week, but especially today we're opening up the live stream for those that weren't uh, able to make it. But I'm just reminded that really, that no matter what happens, whether we're at home today or we're here uh, on this uh, Sunday, uh, that God is good and he's deserving of worship and nothing stops us truly from worshiping him. Now today, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, the Advent of love, as Jess Leung read for us during the Advent reading and lighting. And as we come to the year end, as next week is a Christmas weekend with Christmas Eve service on the 24th. Correction, a bit of a typo, it's actually Christmas Eve service, our candlelight service is 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, on, uh, on Saturday. So 4 to 5 p.m. this coming Saturday, uh, right here in the sanctuary. And in our Christmas Day service, we have baptism, memberships, and baby dedications. A great celebration as we uh, remember the birth of Christ. Uh, so come on out uh, to that as well. But nearing the uh, end of this year, as many of you, if you have the app Spotify, uh, what would have popped up uh, recently uh, on your app? Something called Spotify Wrapped, right? Uh, Spotify Wrapped. Uh, which really summarizes the songs that you've listened to, uh, the genres that you have. Spotify Wrapped is a deep dive into the listener's most memorable listening moments of the year. In other words, it summarizes the music that you love. Everything that you listen to, Spotify knows it all and just puts it all out there uh, for you to see. It separates the list into genres and most listened to songs, the number of minutes that you've heard each song and that your top playlist. Spotify has all this data, so it doesn't matter what you tell me. Uh, Spotify knows what you listen to, like how much you love that K-drama music, how much you listen to that gangster rap uh, and on, your, on, your, on your drives to work and to school. 
whether it's K-pop, musicals, 80s, 90s, 60s, 70s, 50s, 30s, I don't know, 20, I don't know how far, it would go back. They, they know, they have all this data of what you're listening to. And this year, I think it's a little bit different. This year, they even give you a listening personality, right? If you have an app, by the way, Spotify, if you don't have it, it's a listening platform uh, that you can stream uh, m- uh, music uh, really at your disposal. But this year, they give you a listening personality. It's almost like the Myers-Briggs. They give you a letter, four letters, that comes up with 16 different personalities. And you get, uh, you get the personality either like the, the adventurer, the early adopter, the deep diver, the devotee, the replayer, connoisseur, the maverick, uh, the fan clubber, top charter, enthusiast, and so on. Uh, you get labeled these one of the 16 personalities. Now, as I was scrolling through that on my own, uh, my own Spotify, and maybe as you think about your own list, we're fascinated with this kind of data, right? We're fascinated because... We want to know about, about ourselves. We want to learn about ourselves. And we want to, see what, uh, uh, want to see what the app reveals about our listening habits and the songs that we heard and the playlists that we heard. But I, I believe it reveals something even deeper, that it reveals our joys. It reveals our loves. It reveals what gives us peace and comfort, what, what songs you go to and when you go to and why you go to. Maybe Spotify doesn't know that, but, but we do. Now, there's some other uh, apps out there, some other, um, uh, some other companies out there that are wanting to do stuff like this as well. Maybe the top restaurants uh, you went to this year. Uh, maybe they want to uh, uh, put on Google, your top search, I don't know, whatever. Uh, Google Maps, maybe they should do it for your driving habits uh, to see what that <laughs> reveals about you. But th- this begs the question for us. It's like, what if we did this for all parts of your life? We had a Spotify wrapped, as it were, for other aspects of your life. What would that reveal about you? What would it show about our lives? What would it reveal about what you love and what you desire and what you yearn for? I start off with that this morning because in the Gospels, in Matthew 1, God lays it out right away what he loves and who he loves. God shows us what he loves. And ultimately, it's humanity. It's me and you. It's people. God lays it all in line to show us what love looks like. And the big idea for us this morning is, is this. God loves us by being with us. That God loves us by being with us. In the context of the passage that was just read for us by Evelyn, uh, we, we see here the context is that it starts in small town Bethlehem. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, if you heard the sermon a couple of weeks ago, we would have learned that in, in Matthew especially addresses the political tough, politically tough climate that Jesus was born into. It was a tough time for the Israelites. Remember how Herod, he was the king and the ruler, and he was really known as the puppet king where Rome placed him uh, in that land to rule over. Uh, he was a puppet king to be Rome's puppet to rule over his own people. And it was a tough political climate. It wasn't favorable for the Jewish people by, by any means. It was a tough time for them to live. And here we see in the context today, too, that there's Joseph and Mary. And I want to paint this context and explain this a little bit because it's important that Joseph and, Joseph and Mary, the word we see here in in the passage today is that they were pledged. It's an ancient word for, uh, maybe an old school word <laughs> for uh, engaged. Uh, and, and, other, and also another word for engaged or pledged is betrothed. Uh, that's an even more, an e- even older word. But it's, it's different. 
that's different than the way we understand it today in terms of what engagement uh, looks like. Because back then, when they were engaged, it's basically they're married already. That, that, that's the context. They're, they're, they're basically husband and wife without the wedding day. Uh, they're already calling each other husband and wife, which is why we see them referring to each other in that way, husband and wife, even though they're not married. Because in ancient engagement, uh, it basically is that. Because the parents of the young man would go choose another young woman <laughs> and match them together. And, it, and during that match, it would be a legal binding, that engagement. It would be a legal binding. And the only thing, the only thing that breaks that engagement is actually pregnancy. That's the only thing that breaks it. And what's the, that's, what's the punishment if the, the, uh, if the woman is found to be pregnant during this engagement? It's stoning by death. That was the context back then. That was the law back then in the land. So that kind of paints and gives us a little bit of an understanding of what's going on with Joseph and Mary and how Joseph, even though he found out that his engaged, the wife that's engaged to him is pregnant, still wants to take care of her, still wants to love her the best way that uh, he can. So with this in mind, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. That's how the birth of Christ came about and how verse 18 starts in the passage that we're studying here today. And this is the extent in which God will go for us. This is the extent in which God will go to show his love, to be with his people. Because what's the most for you? If you think about your own life and maybe some friends that you know, what's the most you've done to show your love to someone? Or what's the most you've done to make your way to someone that you love and that you care for a lot? And maybe it's a friend that lives overseas, and one day you showed up, you know, knocking on the door, like, I'm here, and I get all, get all excited, and it, right, you showed up to show them that you care and you love them, you, you flew overseas, and maybe into their hometown to, to show that to them, or maybe it's a loved one that you still keep in contact with through Zoom or call or, or whatever platform you choose. According to a, a news site that talks about, um, had an article about dating and, and moving to another city. <laughs> for those that, that you love. Uh, in the site, it says this, nothing says love like packing up your life to start over in a new city with the person that you love. And as you read on, I, I find it a little bit laughable, but the article suggests that moving for love is a good idea because 60% of the time it works out. I'm like, 60% of the time for me to uproot my life and to move, I don't know, to Paris or something or to Europe or to Asia, like 60%, that's above 50 I guess, but it's still, you know, I kind of want 90, right? <laughs> or 95 or something to make sure uh, that it's going to work out. Uh, there's even a TV show about this. Uh, this kind of uh, people that move and uproot their life. Uh, and nothing wrong with that because uh, it does work out uh, sometimes. Uh, but there's a show on HGTV called Move for Love. Uh, the ratings aren't very high, so I don't recommend it to you. But these long-distance couples are ready to in the description of the show, long-distance couples are ready to close the gap as they search for their first home together. They face an emotional test of their relationship as one of them will have to make the ultimate sacrifice and uproot their life in the name of love. And we read things like this, and we're like, wow, would someone really move across the world for someone else that they love? Would I move across the world for someone that I love? As I... As you think about that and God, what would God do again? What's the effort that God put to be with us, for, with the people that he loves? He, in order to do that, he first had to be born. That's a big statement, that God had 
to be born. As pastor uh, and, and speaker and author Max Lucado wrote in Because of Bethlehem, Jesus did not enter the world to help us save ourselves. He entered the world to save us from ourselves. Any doubt of the Father's love, Father's love disappeared the night God was wrapped in barnyard towels so the hay wouldn't scratch his back. That this is the extent that God will go to show us how much he loves us. This is the love story, the pursuit of humanity and the relationship that he wants and yearns with me and you. The first point today for us is that God comes to be with us in a miraculous way. God shows us his love by being with us. And God comes to be with us in a miraculous way. In verse 18, it starts this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. Uh, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And I have to admit, for many of us here today, maybe watching online, and those that have wrestled with this before, the doctrine of the virgin birth, as is known as in a theological circle, is a tough doctrine to believe. An unbelievable doctrine to believe, because I realize there's kids here, because our kidsmen had to be on hold uh, today. But babies, we know that that's not how they come about. Uh, so it's a tough kind of uh, understanding for us, a tough wrestling f- for us. And for some outside of the church maybe that don't adopt this belief, that Christians are ridiculed for this kind of belief. And mainly for, uh, and maybe some of them are even ridiculed for within the church, that there's this kind of wrestling, like did this really happen to Mary? And some would argue, there's a couple arguments, some would argue that the prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 speaks of a young woman. So as as a matter of translation, speaks of a young woman, not a virgin. And there's debate there. I'll just leave it there for uh, for that note. Secondly, the virgin birth is also a thing of myths and paganism. Like back then, there were other other stories that happened like this. Other religions have it. If you are a Star Wars fan, even Star Wars has it. Did you know that? Anakin Skywalker... (laughs) was born not with a mother, actually has no father because he was conceived through the force. Even Star Wars has this immaculate kind of birth. Uh, I checked, I fact-checked that, it's true. Anakin becomes Darth Vader. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. I ruined it for you. But in an article written by Kevin DeYoung in the Gospel Coalition, he has three reasons why there are problems to this kind of thinking, whether it's paganism, whether it's uh, there are other stories out there, uh, whether there's like a translation issue. And I'll summarize in these three points. The assumption that there was a prototypical God-man who had certain titles, did certain miracles, or was born of a virgin, saved his people, and then resurrected is not well-founded in ancient literature. In fact, there's no other prototypical hero existed before the rise of Christianity. That is after the rise of Christianity that these stories started coming out. Number two, it was also unthinkable for the Jewish people at that time to take on things of paganism and put it into their Jewish beliefs. Like that's not a thing. Like that doesn't happen because of the strict religious rules that they have. And thirdly, the virgin birth that people say parallels other stories. If you look into the stories, they're actually not parallels at all because there's differences in the stories. 
There's a couple articles I want to recommend for you to read. You come ask me. I, I can uh, forward them over to you. But I'll leave it at that. So though, but here's my point. Though it might be difficult for us to understand, might make it, uh, uh, it might not make sense to us. Uh, it might not make sense to us here in 2022. It makes perfect, sen- perfect sense for God. Because if we follow a God that is a miraculous, a miracle-making kind of God, this isn't so far-fetched for our miracle-making kind of God. Because since when was God ever limited to having ingredients in order to make something happen? I was listening to Daryl Johnson, a, a pastor and professor in the city, where you're sharing a little a, a, a sermon, a little recording, a little explanation about how one of his favorite miracles that Jesus ever did was turning water into wine in John chapter 2, and how it's the most miraculous for him. See, you're like, how can that be? Even though Jesus fed 5,000 people with uh, with not very much food, like, like that's pretty miraculous. Or how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that's pretty miraculous. But he argues that even with feeding the 5,000, Jesus had five loaves and two fish, that the ingredients were there. And he multiplied that. Even with Lazarus, the body was there. Like Lazarus was still there. He's able to bring him back to life. But with turning water into wine, Jesus did not need grapes. <laughs> Jesus did not need grapes to make wine. The ingredients weren't even there for Jesus in order to perform that miracle. And it shows us, and this, that gets us thinking, in the miracle, miraculous birth of Jesus through Mary, it shows us that not everything needs to be there for God to be able to do something. I'm going to say that again. It shows us that not everything needs to be there in our own understanding, in our own minds, in our own uh, uh, perspective of the world, needs to be there for God to be able to do something. So why did God show up as a baby? It really shows us, again, the lengths that God will go to be with his people. Because try to imagine, I know we can't fully fathom this, but try to imagine that God being this all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, uh, omnipresent God that's everywhere all the time, decides to put himself and limits himself into the confines of a human body. Just think about that for a moment. I know we can't fully imagine that, but that's what God did. And some theologians call this the self-limitations of God, that he chose to do this for the sake of love, for the sake of, for the sake of love, taking on the form of a human being. And, and Paul in Philippians 2, he picks up on this. Philippians 2, 5-8, in your relationships with, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So my point is this. Through this miraculous death, that's how far God will go to show us how much he loves us, how much he wants to be with us. So for us here today, here's a question for us to wrestle through. What do you not see right now? Maybe what do you not see a way through right now? That's maybe a a big problem, a big challenge, a mountain of an issue that's right before you, a situation where you feel like, God, he can't make a way through that. God can't do that possibly. Maybe we can't even see any humanly way possible, but we're reminded here that God's ways are higher, that God knows better, 
that God doesn't need all the ingredients in order to perform the miracle that he wants to perform. Secondly, God has been wanting to be with us for a long time. If we think about God loving us, means he wants to be with us. God, he's been wanting to do this for a very, very long time. It wasn't a spur of a moment kind of thing. We read this in the second half of verse 20, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So she gave birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, which the name Jesus means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, the son of David, that's what I want to focus on here. Joseph, the son of David, reminding us of the lineage of Jesus, the promise that traces back all the way to Abraham, who was promised to be the father of many nations. Genesis 17, 5 to 7, no longer will you be called Abram. This is the promise to Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Reminded, son of David, the lineage that traces all the way back to Abraham, which is what Matthew, the gospel writer here, does in the beginning of Matthew, chapter 1. But the section right before this is the lineage of Jesus. He paints it all the way back, Jesus' family tree. And if you had a chance, if you haven't had a chance, I recommend you to read it and to pay attention to some of the names because there are some interesting characters. There are some interesting characters to the lineage of Jesus. I mentioned here Abraham, who's known as the father of many nations, but he's also the one who lied about being married to his wife, uh, saying, no, 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 that's not my wife. <laughs> that's not my wife. And there's also in this lineage women are named, which was not customary in the ancient times. That it wasn't customary to, to name women. And the women that are named are, are women like Rahab, who's a Canaanite, an enemy to Israel, and also a prostitute who ends up becoming a heroine in the story of Joshua and, and how they saved and how, he let the people, how she let the people in. You know, there's King David into the city, and there's King David as well, who's mentioned here, but he's also an, an adulterer, and he's a murderer. And out of all these characters comes Jesus. All these characters comes Jesus. And what's my point? The plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, the plan for God to be with us and to be with his people, the plan of salvation started way back. It was initiated way back before you were around, before you were born, before you were ever uh, conceived or known or existed in this world, that God already knew you had a plan for you. And this is the promise to Joseph on that day. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is the same promise, not only to Joseph, but to us because of this God who knows us, who knows you, knows your struggle, knows what you're going through. This God that, who loves you, who has a God, uh, is a God who has a plan for you, who has a plan for you, not just in this moment, but for a very long time. He's already known He's already known the mountains that you face. He already knows the challenges that you face. He already knows the, the, your, your emotion, your anxieties, your depression, what you're going through in this season. As John Piper in his sermon on John 3.16, he preached this. Jesus teaches us that God 
who exists loves. Let that sink in. He loves. He loves. Of all the things you might say about God, be sure to say this. He loves. That from the very beginning, he already thought of you and he already loved you, even though he knew everything about you. All the ways that you've gone wrong, all the things that you're not proud of, all the mistakes that you've ever made, God still chooses to love. If we do not know anything about God, may we leave today knowing that God loves, that he loves you and that he knows you. So no matter how cloudy the situation seems, no matter how confused we might be, no matter the anxiety when it's overcoming and you feel like you don't have another day, don't forget this, that God can navigate through the messiest situations. I'm going to say that again. He can navigate through. He doesn't go around things. He brings, he's right there with you through the situation. He doesn't tiptoe around it. But he can and he's willing to lift you up and to be with you and to love you. Because that's the God that we follow. That's the God that we know. Thirdly, and this might seem very straightforward, but it's important to note, out, note that God, he actually shows up. The God, he actually shows up. We read this in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave the name Jesus. You see, talk is cheap. God could have been like, Abraham, I'm going to promise you many things. Like Abraham's like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, that's great. Yay. You know, you know, God's with me. But God, he shows up time and time and time again. It's easy to talk about some, doing something, but it's different to actually do it and to follow through. And what we have through Scripture, through the entire Bible, is God fulfilling promise after promise. God being true to who he is. This word for fulfill, if I go back a slide here, that's forward, go back a slide. <laughs> all, this play, all, all this took place to what? To fulfill. That word appears 88 times in the New Testament alone. And reminds us, most of them has to do with fulfilling prophecy. And this word means to complete, to fill, to make full, or to cause something to happen, or to make something happen. You see, the point is this, that God, he fulfills what he says he will fulfill. That God is true, that God is good, even though the world seems like it's coming down on you, God, he's still good. That God, he still fulfills his promises. And there are people in our lives, and there's situations in our life that maybe they've, they've disappointed you, that they've hurt you, that you can't look them in the eye, you can't go to school, you can't go to work, you can't go into that relationship being the same because you feel like they've hurt you, they've disappointed you. People have made promises that never came into fruition. Again, maybe it was your workplace, maybe it was your friendship, maybe it was at school. Whatever that promise was, they failed to deliver and they never followed through. But here... Through this Advent season of waiting for Jesus and his arrival, through Christmas, the Christmas story, we're reminded again that God, he never fails. He never fails to deliver. That in this world, so many things are, are pressing down on us. But no, God, he never fails to keep his promises. Our God is a God who fulfills and a God who is able to fill your soul. To fill your soul with 
the, the, the God-sized hole that's, that's missing in us. God is the only one that's able to fill our life and to give us the satisfaction and the fulfillment that we've been looking for. That things in this world that we've tried to search for, whether there's that promotion, whether it's that, it's that raise, uh, whether it's the money in the bank, whether it's that car, that house, that, that job, that's, that, that relationship, that degree, that present, that gift, whatever it is, fill it in. Whatever it is that we've been yearning for, we ultimately know it doesn't fulfill the purpose in our life that only God can and has and will fulfill in us. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon, says this, You may fear that the Lord passed you by, but it is not so. He who counts the stars and calls, calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. He knows your case as thoroughly as you, if you were the only creature he ever made or the only saint he ever loved. Approach him and be at peace. And that's the call for us this morning. That maybe some of us feel like, you, Doug, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know how many Sunday services I missed. <laughs> you don't know the things I've done last night. You don't know the ways that I've dishonored God and how far away I've fallen. You don't know the struggles that I have. You don't know the thoughts in my heart and my mind. But we're reminded here in this passage that God, he loves us so much that he chose to be with us. That there's nothing that we can do to push him away. As J.I. Packer says in, one, in his book, Knowing God, our strength to push God away is not stronger than his hold on us. That no matter how far away that we push him, God's hold on us is even stronger and God's hold on us is even more. So if you ever doubt that God loves you, if you ever doubt that God loves you, everything changed in Bethlehem on that day. All that changes when we see the face of God. On that very night, we transform our back, ourselves back to that day where Jesus was born, where God was born. We see the face of God. All that changed if we ever doubt that God loves us. I want to end today with this story about how there's a boy uh, who was often breaking the rules. And there's this dad. His dad loved him unconditionally. He took him to his performances and showed up at every performance, took him to his ball games, went out for walks, took him fishing, uh, fishing uh, read to him every single night, read the Bible to him every single day. And he really was the best dad there co could possibly be out there. But the son, he kept misbehaving. He kept not listening. He kept doing things that displeased uh, his dad. And one day, the son was upstairs in his room, and his dad and his parents already told him, hey, don't throw the baseball around in your house because you're going to break something, all right? But he went around just throwing his baseball around, and he broke the mirror. And surely enough, he could hear his father's steps going up the stairs. He's like, all right, I'm going to get it. <laughs> I'm going to get it here. And his father went upstairs. And then when his father went into the room, he took off his belt. And then the son was like, okay, I'm going to get it. It's time for me to get a spanking. It's time for me, whether, whatever your belief is on that, all right? <laughs> it's time for me to get a spanking. So he was getting ready for that. But what the father did next was unimaginable. The father took the belt and gave it to his son. And he took off his own shirt and laid down in the bedside and be like, son, whip me in the back seven times. And his son was in tears at this point saying, dad, I can't do this. No, 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 you got to whip me in the back seven times as hard as you can. So the son is doing this whip one, whip two, crying in tears and finishes through with whip seven. 
And then the father turns around and leans over to his son and says, son, do you know why I have done this for you? Or do you know why I did this? And the son said no, and the father replied, well, it's to demonstrate for you when Jesus went onto the cross, when he, what he took was so much worse than what I just took here with the whips that you had on my back. What he was punished for, he didn't deserve it, and, and he was punished in a way that no one has ever been punished. And then he asked his son this question, why do you really, who do you really think did this to Jesus? And the son replied, well, maybe it's the Pharisees, because he knew the biblical story. Maybe it was the other Jewish people. But the father said, no, it was God the Father who punished Jesus. It was God the Father who punished Jesus, who took the punishment he didn't deserve and turned it back upon himself to show us that he loves us. And from that moment on, the boy was never the same again. He wasn't perfect, <laughs> but he wasn't the same again. Why? Because he knew how much his dad loved him and how much he loved his dad that he never wanted to do that again to his own father. You see, when we experience the love of God, we're never the same again. That that day on the cross that Jesus took the punishment he did not deserve for me and for you, and this was what God allowed to happen. Not because he couldn't stop it, not because he had to, but because he wanted to for the sake of love. That God loves us so much to be with us that this baby born in Bethlehem, we're reminded not only of the cradle on Christmas Day, but also the crown and the crucifixion of Jesus that awaits for this baby as he grows to be a man. And here's the promise for us. That the Gospel of Matthew, which I encourage you to read all the way through if you haven't already, here in the beginning of the Gospel, the promise that God is with us. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. And if you flip all the way to uh, to, to, to the end of, of Matthew, to chapter 28, all the way to the last verse. In verse 20, the gospel of Matthew starts with God being with us. That's the promise. And the very last verse of the, of the very last verse of this book says this. All authority, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20 says this. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is true through and through. He's with us in the beginning. He's going to be with us all the way to the end. And he's with us here today, no matter what it is you're going through. And he'll be with you in the future, no matter what it is that you experience in all of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a with us kind of God, that you're a God that hasn't forsaken us, that hasn't forgotten us, but you're a God that is with us. God, this season, we need that reminder because maybe we're feeling alone. Maybe the anxiety and depression is, 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 is crushing. Maybe the stress from work and family is is all around us, and we feel bound, Lord, by our responsibilities. So God, in this morning, may we experience your peace, may we experience your presence, may we experience your purpose in our life, and God, may we experience your love here today. That God, you didn't need to be born as a baby, you didn't need, on, need to take on flesh, but you chose to, to be with us. And God, I pray 
that you help us to realize and to know, Lord, what that means personally for us here today. Because maybe in life, we, it looks like we have everything all together, but inside, God, we feel lonely, we feel purposeless, we feel separated from the ways of the world. God, I pray that you would help us to hear you here today and to experience your presence and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.